be committed to being committed. Be committed to being committed. The word commitment has fallen on hard times. We have become so spoiled and often lazy as people that we don't want to do anything that challenges us spiritually or is inconvenient. So when the preacher says, commit yourself to doing this or that, or commit yourself to being a disciple, the spiritually sounding excuses begin to fly. And of course, somebody somewhere is going to pull out what I call the L card. That stands for legalists. Very little, folks, will ever be accomplished if there is no commitment. Okay, let me say that again. Very little will ever be accomplished if there's no commitment. You know, we believe in commitment in all the areas of life that are not as important. But when it comes to serving the Lord, for whatever reason, we have an issue. We're living in the days of what the Bible calls the Laodicean age or the Laodicean church. It was the last church directed, talked about in the book of Revelation when Jesus spoke to the seven churches. It was a church that was lukewarm. The Lord had nothing good to say about that church. Now that's not to say, let me step back for a minute. That isn't to say that there aren't believers today who are living with passion for Jesus Christ. But they are so few that the, see those churches, they have general characteristics. And generally speaking, the church of today is a worldly, fleshly, self-focused, I've got my rights church. I've heard it over the years many times. What are you, you're telling me what to do. I don't need to do what you say. I've got my rights. Well, friend, listen, you do have your rights, but that doesn't mean you're right in the exercise of your rights. God is the one who determines that. Now, today's message, I knew this as I was preparing it. This message will not be a popular message. It's not going to be one like, well, some of the more popular ones that we have out there that have gotten, you know, five, six, seven thousand views. But that's not the point. The point is, as we go verse by verse through the scriptures, that God would take it, that he would use it for us. Because the truth of it is, sometimes we need it, don't we? Be committed to being committed. Very little will ever be accomplished if there's no commitment. Now, the word Laodicea, by the way, means people's rights. Did you know that? That's exactly what it means. Rebellion to authority, beginning with God. Now, let's open up our Bible. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see in verse 15, which we studied last time, it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Remember what this letter is all about. It is the apostle Paul on death row. He only has a certain period of time left to live. And so here is Paul and he is instructing one he had led to Christ many years before, had mentored Timothy, who was a pastor, Timothy was struggling. We don't exactly know why, but he was struggling in his own life as a pastor, as pastors can do. And he was encouraging him to go on, but he was also encouraging him to, uh, and this chapter two, we've spent weeks and weeks on this. This chapter two is powerful as far as the challenges involved here. And Timothy needed to be challenged to keep going, to renew his commitment to keep at it because the days are difficult. And Paul was telling him, listen, the days are going to get 
more difficult. And by the way, come back next week if you want to know a little bit more about that. But there's got to be the commitment. And so in verse 15, we see number one, we see the need, we need to be committed to the word of God because the word of God is the standard. The word of God is the light. It is the flashlight that takes us through the woods on a dark night. The word of God gives us direction. It gives us purpose, gives us reason. Folks, listen, we can be so wired over time by our own will that we think it's okay when we simply say, oh, God says this, I don't want to do that, that's okay. Or God says this, I don't want to do that, that's okay. It is never okay for us as his children to not do what he says. It's never okay. Well, wait a minute, isn't that what living under grace is? No, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And by the way, that's a quote from Titus chapter two. Not a legalistic idea, but a biblical one. We need to be committed to the word of God because that is where we get our direction, personally, corporately, as a church. Secondly, though, we need to be committed to living out the word of God. And this is where we're gonna spend a lot more time today in verses 19 through 21. Jump down to verse 19, it says, nevertheless, The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The word iniquity means sin, okay? Sin against God. If we name the name of Christ, if we are Christians, we need to be living godly Christian lives. Not just in the areas where we want but God's will is for us to be in submission to the plan of God. I know there are people who will hear that and they'll say, well, we can't always be that way, okay? Why is it that we have a knee-jerk reaction when something like that is said? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? I know we fail. We all fail. We know that we all fail. But that doesn't change the truth of what God wants for us. We need to be committed to being committed as Christians. It's an issue of the will. Under verse 19, let's break this down. Number two, again, we need to be committed to living out the word of God. First and foremost, the Lord has saved us unto godliness. He's not saved us unto carnality. We have no business living in sin as Christians. No business living in sin. If you know you're living in sin, you've got no business as a child of God doing that. Well, wait, I'm still going to heaven. Yes, you're still going to heaven because once you're born into the family of God, you become an eternal child of God. But the Lord has saved us unto godliness. You notice in verse 19, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The truth we know should work its way out in our lives into godly living. So if we know something to be true from the scriptures, we should allow that to have its way in our lives. And if God says, I don't want you doing that anymore, we should say, okay, Father, I'm going to not do that. Or at least I'm going to start going in the direction of where I'm not doing that. I understand we all stumble and fall at times. I get that. We all do, including me. But when God's word is received and obey, what will happen? Here's what happens. And folks, this is why this is so wonderful. 
When God's word is received and obeyed, it can do the work in our lives that God intends it to do, and the result will be a transformed life. The result will be a purer life, a purer life. Well, yeah, but you don't understand. I'm still a sinner. I've got a sin nature. I get that. This is a solution to us being ravaged by our sin nature because the wages of sin is still death. Hold your place and look with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. This issue of commitment, and by the way, biblically speaking, within the will of God, this issue of obedience, this issue of holiness, those are other things that have come on hard times today. You don't hear about it anymore. You don't hear about it. But the Bible has not changed, and the scriptures are clear. And it says in 1 Peter 1, 14, as obedient children. Now, again, who is he writing to? People who had trusted Jesus Christ the Savior. They understood they were lost. They understood they couldn't save themselves. They understood Jesus went to the cross, and when he died on the cross, he paid for our sins. And they put their faith in Christ and Christ alone to save them. He did. He gave them everlasting life. They were born again into the family of God, saved, sealed forever, eternal children of God. But the children of God, we should act like the children of God. And when I say act, I don't mean put on a front. I'm talking about we should be reflecting the character of our Father. This part of what the Bible calls sanctification, the present tense of it, the Christian life. Folks, we ought to be making progress as Christians, not going backwards. If we have to have someone on our backs all the time to keep us on the right path, it shows how shallow we are and how immature we are. We ought to have a personal walk with the Lord. Verse 14, as obedient children, do you see it? Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust, desires, and your ignorance. In other words, you're supposed to be obedient. You're not supposed to be living like you did when you didn't know any better. You know better now. But as he which hath called you is holy, talking about God, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means manner of life, the way you live your life. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Oh, I don't have the power to do that. Amen. But God does. God is the one who will empower us as we yield to him and look to him and then obey his word. His grace provides for us the power to live a life of godliness. Be ye holy for I am holy. Okay. In the last couple of years, I've heard of Christians you know, saved by grace. No question, saved by grace. See, this is an epidemic issue. I don't know how, how it is every place else, but I can tell you how it is here in Minnesota. I have run over this so many times since we came here in 1981, where Christians think it's okay to get saved and then just live the way you did before you were saved. And it's okay because it's all, we're saved by grace, we're saved by grace. Yeah, we are saved by grace, but we've been saved by grace to go on to maturity. And so there are believers who, uh, I had a pastor friend, he had people, several people leave the church because he, he took a stand about alcohol. And what these people would do is they would go to church and then they go to the bars and they hang out in the bars and all that. How in the world 
Do you reconcile that with the holiness of God? I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. That's what God says. And his word will not change with the times. That's just one area. But they left the church, and of course they called them illegalists. <laughs> you know. Nowadays, whenever people don't like what you say, that's what they call you as a legalist. So, by the way, get used to it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's go back there. It says in verse 20, But in a great house there are also vessels of gold and of silver, but also some of wood and of earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor. Gold and silver, some to honor, okay? There are believers who live godly, dedicated lives, or who are living godly, dedicated lives. They're not perfect. No one's perfect. But this is the direction of their life. This is their lean. This is their commitment. This is how they live their lives. They try to make God-honoring choices in their life. What does God say? They will be honored. The end of their lives will be honored. When? At the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand before the Lord. But there are also believers who are living carnal lives, fleshly lives. They're not living according to the spirit. They're living according to the flesh. The end of their lives will be dishonor. Now that's an interesting word because it literally means shame and reproach. They'll be ashamed of themselves when they stand at the judgment seat of Christ. As I was putting this message together, I look at that and I ask two questions at the end of that. What about you And what about me? Am I going to have honor when I stand before the Lord on how I live my life once I got saved? Or am I going to be ashamed of myself when I stand before the Lord? So what the Bible says is going to happen. Well, I don't agree with that view of the judgment seat of Christ. Well, you're wrong. Okay. Because that's what it says. That's what it says. What about me? I point finger at you. I have three pointing back at me. Okay, verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet or fit, fit for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now, what is these referring to? There's different ideas on that. I'll tell you what I believe it's talking about. I believe those who are living corrupt lives of sin whether doctrinal or morally, we are to separate ourselves from those people. Why? Because we are to be living holy lives. And if they're living contrary to that, that's not the crowd we ought to be running with. It's just that simple. If you hang around with rebels, you are going to be a rebel if you're not already. Hear me, church. If you hang around with carnal people, You're either carnal or you're going to be carnal one day. Friends are like buttons on the elevator. They're going to take you up or down. We ought to have a mind for ministry. You might say, well, what about lost people? I'm trying to reach lost people. Amen, let's reach lost people. And as long as we have the focus of reaching them, we're going to be okay. Now, that doesn't mean participate in sin, thinking you're going to reach them by doing that, because I got news for you, you're not. You're not. And by the way, my ideas are not new ones. The great Dr. Mark G. Cameron, one of our 
professors at Florida Bible College, one of the greatest Bible teachers, I think, that ever lived. He would come to class and he would teach out of his books that he wrote. He wouldn't even bring notes. He would just get up there and start talking. He wouldn't even look at the book. He had his Bible there, but he would just quote it. I mean, he was, he was walking scripture, this man. And he had a saying, and I never forgot it, and I thank God that he said it. He said, you'll never lead a bartender to the Lord while drinking his whiskey. It's a truth. If any man therefore purge himself from these, those who are living corrupt lives of sin, whether doctrinally or morally, if your friends are carnal, you will end up carnal. What do I do? You need new friends. How do I get those? Go lead somebody to Christ and then start discipling them. You'll have a friend for life. You really will. Now, we are not to run with those believers who have no desire to live for Christ. Don't run with them. Don't run with them. Rebels, okay? Don't run with rebels. You'll become a rebel. As a matter of fact, if you run with rebels, people will look at you and figure that is what you are. Secondly, we should separate from those who are committed to being spiritually or morally corrupt. And that's what it's saying in verse 21. Purging ourselves. People like Hymenaeus and Philetus, okay? Hold your place here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. You might say, well, this, I'm glad we're moving because this is a little intense for me. Well, hold on to your seat. It only gets worse. <laughs> Folks, we are so out of touch nowadays with the Word of God. We just really are. We have created our own, our own interpretation of the terms of Scripture We've created our own dictionaries. We have no business doing it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about church discipline. Church discipline. You might say, what does that mean? That means that if there are believers in the church who have no desire to live for Christ or who are living in sin, that you try to get them to see the error of their way, but if they're not going to change, they need to be asked to leave the church. Oh! <gasps> That doesn't sound very loving to me. Actually, it's one of the most loving things you could ever do for them is to help them wake up. This is what the Bible teaches. This is not me. This is scripture. And that's what 1 Corinthians 5 talks about. There is a brother living in sin, a sexual sin. I will not go into detail. But Paul says, listen, I'm not even there, but I've already judged. This guy needs to go. That's what he said. He needs to go. You need to get him out of your church because he's polluting everyone else. And look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, by the way, verse 7, and I know it's not on the screen, but it says, purge out therefore the old leaven. And then look at down in verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. So it's not talking about trying to reach the lost. But this is talking about people who are saved. Not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. That's having sexual relations with somebody who is not your husband or wife. And yes, I said husband and wife. Man, woman. Mr. and Mrs. Do you get it? I just threw that in because of the culture that we're in today. That they're trying to do away with all the pronouns. Did you know that, by the way? They're trying to do away with all the pronouns? They're trying to do it in Congress, and then I know they're going to try to expand it to the country in which we live. 
to where your gender is not really your gender. Anyway, here's the point. Not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous. You're driven by the greed of money or an idolater. You're worshiping by the way you live. You're worshiping another God besides the God of the Bible or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, crook, somebody who swindles people out of money, crooked businessman. Look at this. With such a one, know not to eat. Have nothing to do with them. You might say, well, that seems kind of harsh to me. I remind you, friend, this is the word of God. Doesn't matter what this pastor thinks. What matters is what God says on this. Who you run with will have a profound effect on your life. Psalm 4.3 says, But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. I love that. Who does God use? Back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If any man remember, verse 21, If any man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet or fit for the master's use, and prepared unto every good worth. A godly believer will be used much more greatly than an ungodly believer. I want to be used. I don't know about you. I want God to use my life for his glory. And God says, okay, son, you want me to use your life? You're going to have to be committed to holiness, to godliness. Flee youthful lusts. Verse 22, flee. That means run away from youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, love, peace with them that call on the Lord, look at this, out of a pure heart, out of a pure heart. Now, what are youthful, youthful lusts or desires, okay? Again, a lot of people have different ideas. I'll tell you what I think it is. These would include all the lusts that you became aware of when you were young, teenage years. You remember? You remember that you were young ones? Sexual temptations, wealth. You know, boys, they, boys when they're little, they can't stand girls. Oh, girls. And then they turn the corner there and they start noticing girls and they have different desires and, and all these kind of things. And you better keep a lid on it, right? You better keep a lid on it and do what's right. Flee youthful lusts. Again, sexual temptations, I believe. Wealth, you're becoming aware of these things. These things, are, you start thinking, well, you know what, boy, that sounds good to me. Yeah, I know the goal of my life will be to retire and be a millionaire by age 30. Of course, a millionaire nowadays really doesn't mean much, does it? Sexual temptations, wealth, fame, independence. Oh, man, when we're young, what is it? Man, you can't wait to be independent. You can't wait to get your first car to where you can drive wherever you want. I get it. I remember that. I remember what it's like. I remember the first time I took my mom's car and drove it on my own where I wanted to go. And I thought, this is living. Gas then was 27 cents a gallon. (laughs) And they actually pumped it for you for a while. Can you imagine that? Most of you are thinking, What is he talking about pumped it for you? What kind of an idea is that? 
They called them service stations back then. Then they turned to self-service, which means we don't want to deal with you. Okay. Again, all those things that we became aware of, other goals that we had, driven by pride. I want to do my own thing. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I want to do this. I want to do that. I'm not going to listen to anybody. Those are all youthful lusts. Those are the things we become aware of. That mindset comes in. Instead of that, flee youthful lusts, but follow righteousness Here's what we should be following. Righteousness, faith, charity, love, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we're to flee those things, rather pursue godliness and holiness and values defined by this book. Say, well, I'm into values clarification. I am too. I'm going to let God clarify my values through scripture. So we are to follow righteousness, faith, love, peace. What a beautiful picture of ministry, by the way. For a pastor, pastor, this is what we're supposed to be following, righteousness, faith, love, peace. Those ought to be qualities of our ministry with other people. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I love that too. Good fellowship, good godly fellowship is essential to staying on track That's why we need, by the way, local church and relationships there for those who are like-minded who want to serve the Lord. We need to meet together, okay? Streaming is great, but it does not cut it. You might say, well, they may close the churches, but we'll still have streaming. How long do you think that's going to last? As a matter of fact, I wouldn't doubt it if if they flipped the switch and cut us off of the internet, at least for a while, and then decide, now that we have a different administration, then decide that, oh, well, you know what? Churches aren't essential. Let's shut them down again. Hopefully it won't happen, okay? We also see the doctrine of replacement. Do you see it in verse 22? Flee, follow. This is one of the most neglected and seldom thought of truths in a Christian life, yet it is a key to living the Christian life. Now, when I said the doctrine of replacing me, I'd say, what in the world is that? Well, that's sad, isn't it, that we aren't even aware of this. But one of the great truths of Scripture and of the Christian life is things that are evil need to be replaced with things that are good. Not just stop evil, but replace it with doing what's right. Because if all we do is cut out what is wrong, we will end up with an empty life. That's what happens. That is something that a lot of new believers hear. They're saved now, and they say, well, well I want to I do whatever God wants me to do. And somebody says to them, well, you know, there's things in your life you really should cut out. Okay, I'm going to cut it out, so that I'm going to quit going there. My friends do this or that. They're doing evil things. I, I'm done with them. And, and well, I used to go there in the evenings. I'm done with that. I cut that out, and I used to, whoo, I used to watch that on TV and videos, but can't do that anymore either because that's evil. I cut that out and cut this out and cut that out and... I had that habit, I cut that out, and I was doing this, and I cut that out. So here I am. So what do you have? Not much. My life's kind of empty. No, every time you cut something out, you replace it with something godly. Wow, does that make a difference? Okay, a renovation. 
If you had a house and you decided you didn't like your furniture and you threw it all out on the front lawn and you didn't replace it, what are you going to do? Sit on the floor. That's going to get old. It's going to get old. Now, if you really had a bad couch, maybe it will be an improvement, but nevertheless, you get the point. Let me show you this. Hold your place here and look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. This is probably the most clear, graphic, lengthy passage, and we're not going to comment much on it. Just read it. But you'll get the point, this doctrine of replacement. Ephesians 4 verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. In other words, being blinded by the ignorance that is in the lost. Once we get saved, Jesus does not teach us to continue on like we were lost. It says in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, manner of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, not everybody who streams us knows necessarily that, or it's not really registered in your mind that, that we are uh, broadcasting from St. Cloud, Minnesota. All right? Minnesota's not real tropical this time of the year. Uh, I think we'll probably be in maybe, I don't know what the, what the temperature's going to be. I know we've been, and this has been a mild winter, and we have been uh, just getting into the zeros and below zeros at night now here. But you know, it wouldn't do a whole lot of good. Let's say you had an old ratty coat and you say, you know what, this is a ratty old coat and you're outside and you say, I'm going to take this coat off. You can take that coat off and you say, good, I'm done with my ratty coat. But tell you what, you're in a heap of trouble if you don't have a replacement. You need a replacement, okay? I just this year got rid of my old faithful coat that I got years ago at J.C. Penney. I loved that coat, but it was so bad, mainly in the pockets. The pockets just wore through, and I would put my keys in there, and then I'd go to get my keys. I couldn't find them. Where are they? Well, they went through the pocket into the inside of the coat somewhere, and they're in the back, and so I have to kind of fish them out and I just, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say, well, that pocket doesn't work anymore. I'll use this one over here. And then the same thing would happen to that pocket. And then before you know it, all the pockets have holes in them. I had my favorite one was the one up here where I could put my phone in. That's a long drop from here to here. <laughs> you laugh because it's happened to you. <laughs> Do you know what? I said, okay, so now's the time. So I had to bite the bullet and I went and I got a new coat made in. China. <laughs> I didn't buy it because it was made there. As a matter of fact, I looked for coats that weren't made in China, but I came up with nothing. So I got that one, and it's, it's been okay. Getting back to our text, I don't know why I told you that. Verse 24, that you, oh, there you go, put on, put off. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Watch this now. Wherefore, putting away lying... Because that's what you did before you're saved. Speak every man truth. See the replacement? With his neighbor. 
for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole, you are a thief, steal no more, don't do it anymore. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. So instead of taking from people, work so you can give to people. Man, what a turnaround. But that's the will of God. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, wherein you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice instead. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Replacement. Number three, we need to be committed to teaching the word of God with a right spirit. And this, this falls back again, a challenge to the pastor and those who are teachers. People need the Lord. Folks, we need to be kind with people. Doesn't mean you don't have a backbone and you're not bold. Boldness and kindness are not contradictory. They should go together. I try to be kind. I want to be kind to you. Hopefully you see it that way. But see, here's the truth. You can be clear as ice and just as cold. There are a lot of people who are that way. Oh, they may be doctrinally sound, but you listen to them. It's like, where's some water? This guy's so dry, I can't take it. We need to be committed to teaching the word of God with the right spirit. Verse 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strife. Again, don't waste your time with dumb questions from other people. Give them a short answer that is to the point, then move on. And you can usually tell why people are asking the questions that they do. We have all the time in the world for people who have sincere questions. If you have foolish questions or you just want to waste time, there's no time for that. We don't have the time for that. Verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. It means to war, but be gentle unto all men, apt or able to teach, patient, okay? We must not strive. This is especially important for pastors to get today. We are to contend for the faith without being contentious. If people get turned off because of what the Bible says, that is one thing. If people get turned off because of the way I am, that is a complete other issue. I need to deal with that and be honest about it. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Notice the next phrase, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Not what, how. Very important. Back to 2 Timothy 2, verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth, and that you may recover, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Now it's very clear in verse 25, by the way, repentance there, it is very clear that repentance has to do with a change of mind or thinking. Repentance and acknowledgement, do you see that in that verse? That has to do with what? Your mind. You acknowledge something with your mind. Repent, to change your mind, to have a different mind. And the Lord will give them a change of mind if they want the truth. That's what it's getting at. The Lord will give them a change of mind if they want the truth. If they're seeking, God will help them see it, and they will have a change in their thinking. 
He will grant that. He's not stingy, okay, with letting people see things. But do they want to see things? He's always willing for those who want the truth. Otherwise, they will continue, and isn't it an interesting phrase? Opposing themselves. Verse 25, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Let me give you an application here. If you want to serve Christ, every person is a ministry opportunity. Every person. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, if they're lost, they need Jesus Christ. We need to share the gospel with them. Sometimes a person may be saved or lost, and the biggest thing they need is a word of encouragement. That's where we come in, right? They need the gospel. That's where we come in. They need a word of encouragement. That's where we come in. They need a helping hand. That's where we come in. We look and we see people the way Jesus does, okay? And we see a people and we see a need and we say, you know what? Lord, help me help that person. It's ministry. That's what it is. The word ministry means to serve. Some people need rebuke. Your kids may need rebuke. A friend may need rebuke. Are you willing to give it? By the way, are you willing to take it if necessary? Most people would rather give it than take it. And some, they just need to be educated. They need to learn, okay? Listen, you may be here today. You may be watching over the internet. I've been talking a lot about the inner Christian life today and the need for us to be godly in the way we live. I don't want you to think for a second that by trying to live that way, you're gonna get to heaven. You can't get to heaven by your good works. No one could be good enough because heaven, you've got to be sinless in the eyes of God to get to heaven. There's only one way you can get that. I want to explain that to you. I want to explain to you how you can be sure of going to heaven when you die. Watch this. Watch this. This represents you and me. We're going to let my wallet here represent our sin. The the Bible says we're all sinners. God loves us. God hates our sin. But our sin must be paid for. We are sinners and our sin must be paid for. If we do it, we're going to have to die physically and then spend forever separated from God in hell. You see, heaven is a perfect place. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin. If you've committed a sin, you're disqualified. That's why good works will not get you to heaven. Okay? The Bible says over here, you'll see it. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. In Christ, and that not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. Being good, being baptized, trying to live right, trying to hang around with the right people, all those things may be good. They won't pay for sin. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless. God says, because I love you so much, and I don't want you to spend forever in hell, But if we're left to ourselves, that's all we get. God says, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to die in your place to pay for your sin for you. And that's what he did, this hand representing Jesus, God in the flesh. He went to the cross, and he took our sin upon himself, and he made the payment so we don't have to. He was buried, he came back from the dead three days later. And the Bible says, if you will put your faith, your trust in him, he'll give you everlasting life everlasting. You have it. Once you have it, you have it forever. It's the best news in all the world. Romans 5, 8, but God commended or displayed his love towards us sinners, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't say, get rid of your sin and I'll save you. 
He says, you can't do anything for yourselves. I will take care of your sin. And when you trust him as the one who made the payment for your sin, he gives you everlasting life. Jesus said it so simply in John 6, 47. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath right now, has that moment, everlasting life. If you've never trusted Christ, would you trust in him today as your savior? Would you do that? God loves you, friend. He wants you to be his child. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.